0: If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy. You all are so kind. You're so kind. Thank you so much. Uh, it, again, it's so good to be with you all today. Uh, it's been a long time since I've been threatened right to my face. Uh, <laughs> he's like, he's the one guy I wouldn't take. But here, here's the problem, OK? We're both, we're both aging. I, w- I won't say old. Uh, we, we, are, we are seasoned like fine wine or good bourbon or a great steak. And so the reality is, I might win. I might win, but it'd be too costly. You know, I'm a walking country music song, for those of you who are Toby Keith fans. I, I, you know, I'm not as good as I once was. Anybody know that song? Can I hear it? But I'm good once, as I ever was. So I mean, he might get some. If he come for me, he might get some. Uh, but I also might just go down at him, cause he's so tight, like he's just, your pastor works out. You know, I lift weights, he works out. Those are two different things. I want to eat bad food and look good in jackets. Like He's got a different goal, so when he threatens me, I get nervous. Uh, (laughs) Well, if you don't know me, they already said my name, but uh, I hope to know you. Uh, Hope is like a second home for me. It has been a family to me, and so I talk like we're family. I talk like this is my place. I would love to work here, Uh, so if you're hiring, let my church know that I'm leaving. Uh, But. So I talk like we're family, and, and so I want to say this. If this is your first time with Hope, uh, a very special welcome to you, a very special welcome to those of you joining us online, and, and particularly if you would not consider yourself a follower of the way of Jesus, and this is important. Uh, Hope is not a perfect place for perfect people. It, it is a place for people in process. And so if you are here and you are on your journey with Jesus, toward Jesus, away from Jesus, maybe uh, uh, you don't believe at all, but you're just exploring. Maybe uh, you're going through some kind of season of deconstruction and you're trying to figure out what you believe. I just want you to know you're in a safe place to ask those questions with people who will journey with you, walk with you, and who will love you well. Can I get a good amen on that? All right. Now, uh, As Pastor Arbuti said, we are wrapping up a series on worship. See how I say we? I'm I'm interviewing right now. We are wrapping up a series on worship, Uh, and if you weren't here for any part of those messages, you can catch them online. But I'm gonna give you a little bit of recap to orient yourself uh, on where we're going today. In the first week, Jim Bergen, Pastor Bergen, uh, talked about the kind of the arc of the whole Bible, and and really. carried us from Genesis to 2 Samuel to show us God's desire and design, which is always to be in a relationship with a people. And we're gonna to touch on that a little bit uh, today as well. And then, of course, last week, my, my friend, my brother, uh, my well-dressed uh, compatriot, my preaching idol, Albert Tate came and, and he talked about the fact that how we love ultimately shows up in how we worship, or maybe even said better, uh, our worship reveals how we love. And so today, what I want to talk about for just a little while, uh, if you'll go with me, uh, I want to talk about the purpose of worship. Okay, I want to talk about the purpose of worship. So we we talked about what worship is. We talked about why love matters in worship. And tonight, I want to do, or today I just want to talk about the purpose of worship in a message entitled "Worth Shape. So if you're a diligent note taker, you know who you are. You grew up Baptist or Presbyterian. Get your pen out and get ready to fire because we're gonna be moving fast. Okay. Uh, and And if you want to read along with me, we're going to be in Psalm 100, Psalm 100, and uh, I'd love for you to read along with me. And uh, you know what? If you're feeling bold, maybe you'll respond to what the psalmist has written, and I don't know if you had to preach this message. Let's see how we do. Okay? Psalm 100, verse 1, make a joyful noise to the Lord. All right. Lord, thank you for this time together. They have received this word. Uh, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God, it is he who made us. We are his, we are the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with what? With praise, give thanks to him, bless his name for the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever to all generations. The word of the Lord. And if you are a follower of the way of Jesus, would you say with me, thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for its power. Uh, I pray now that you would hide me behind your hand and that you would speak directly to the hearts of the people uh, who are here to receive, who will hear this message across multiple mediums. Would it be all of the life change that you would hope it to be? We ask these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Astoundingly. Uh, Perhaps even shockingly, uh, because you know what they say, black don't crack. Uh, I have been in ministry for 20 years. I know. You're like, I thought he was 22 years old. No. I'm in my 40s, and my back feels like somebody hit it with a chisel this week. And so I'm barely standing right now. This is a true story. I pulled my back trying to deadlift more weight than I should because I'm not in my 20s anymore, and uh, and over these years of pastoring, there's been a lot of emotions, learning, growing, joy, pain, beauty, uh, and every person, as with all of you, with, with most any person, uh, you have that commingling of experiences across your life, and sometimes those things converge in one experience. Sometimes you have to hold joy and sadness in tension, and one of those times for me is often when I visit churches outside Side of the Western world that have a great deal less than what we have here in the West. And, and one of those times in recent memory was when I had the opportunity to go to Cadol in Brazil. It's a little town, even some Brazilians don't know about it because it sits right in the rainforest. And, and when our team arrived in the town, the, the whole place was filled with this palpable joy and energy, which in itself is a testimony and a miracle because it used to be the Brazilian capital of witchcraft and the Brazilian capital of voodoo. In fact, uh, in the years prior to our arriving there, there used to be a great monument to voodoo and to witchcraft in the town, but because of some faithful ministers of the gospel who came to that place and began to love people well and then introduce them to the good news of Jesus and journey alongside them and meet their needs, there was this radical revival. And by the time we arrived there, and by revival, I mean like this incredible movement of God doing things in people's lives and changing people's lives forever. And, and by the time we got there, there was an archway at the entrance of this little town that said, God is here. It was incredible. And the church uh, where we would ultimately serve in worship was a small church by by any standard. Poured concrete floor with dust from the outside kind of liberally scattered on the floor. In fact, uh, I think we've got a couple of pictures. If, if not, I'll press on, but I'd love to show you uh, this place. And if not, then you can see them on my Instagram another time. But concrete floors with dust from the outside gently blanketing them. Uh, there was no air conditioning, just open windows. And I want you to imagine this. No air conditioning, open windows by the rainforest. Now, it's 63 degrees in here and I'm already sweating. I almost died in Brazil. Not from disease, from dehydration. It was so hot, not literally, no, I'm good, I'm good, I'm just, you know, I'm exaggerating, that's, you know, that's what we do, it, it, our demonstrative communicators. Oh, there we go, look at that. This was the church, this was the church. Little concrete floors, literal dust sprinkled on the floor And as we enter this building, y'all can leave that up for a little bit. The the little girl that my wife and I adopted through Compassion International, Alicia, uh, well, she came in slowly and and put herself in a place, and and she prepared to sing. But right before she she began to sing, she, she said something so beautiful and powerful. She opened up by saying, we thank you, Jesus, for all of your goodness. And the entire place erupted in celebration. Now, again, I want you to look at it. And I want you to let that sink in. We thank you, Jesus, for all your goodness. And the entire place erupted in celebration. The sound system that they had, it was two speakers that another church from the U.S. had bought for them. The band, it was a guy sitting by a CD player pressing play and stop. No instruments, plastic lawn chairs, nothing you could call a stage. And the worship team was a chorus of children The moment she and the other young people began to sing, they began to lead the church in worship and sing passionately. And and suddenly the entire room was filled in a way that I had never experienced here in the States. Not in my auditorium, not in any auditorium that i would ever been in had I experienced anything like this. It was a it was a passion that I, that I that I couldn't even get my mind around. In fact, uh, we have machines, right? We have sound machines that we can create reverb. Like if you go to a great concert, you can experience reverb. It was like a natural reverb rolling from the back to the front and back again in the room. And my heart, even though I didn't understand anything that was being said, we were singing in Portuguese, and my ears didn't understand it, but my heart was engrossed in it. And I remember being completely overwhelmed. Now you might be asking yourself, well why would you be? Why would you be sad at a moment like that? Is this a safe place, Can I be honest?" I was sad because I knew I had to come home. I was sad because I knew I had to come home. I was sad because I was returning to a place where it seemed as though worship was hindered by the way we live and the comforts we have. That that that, that somehow, under the blessing hand of God, or whatever you want to call it, that we have here, that we lost that sense of passionate desperation. That we have so many competing forces for our time and for our attention that, that if we, if we gather, that we may never experience anything like that. Now I'm a pastor and, and so I went to school and they taught us things like critical mass, like a room will feel a certain way once you hit a critical mass, like enough people. But well, there wasn't very many people in that little concrete box. And I was taught that, that for whatever reason, now, I, I laugh about this every week with my own congregation. True story. Like, they will not sing if the lights are up. And I'm like, y'all know heaven's going to be bright, right? Like, it's going to be, it's gonna, I don't want to sit by the front, girl. It's too bright by Jesus' throne. I, like, that's, <laughs> it's, it's going to be real light up there. But for whatever reason, we can't feel the Spirit until the lights go down. These are things that I ruminate on. And, and here's a conclusion that I've kind of come to that's hard for me to say. And, and I'm not indicting you, I'm, in, I'm including me. That's why I'm going to say our, not your. The conclusion that I've come to is, is that our worth in the West seems shaped more by culture than Christ. And that is why it's hard to worship. That's why it's hard to worship. In in fact, even if you're not a follower of the way of Jesus, you'd be hard pressed to push back against that statement. In fact, half of the issue that my unbelieving friends have with people who follow the way of Jesus is that it seems, it seems that our worth and our way is being shaped more by political agendas and cultural flashpoints and personal pride than it is by Jesus. And that's why I was sad. Because very often here, our worth is shaped more by culture than it is by Christ. And and the way we worship, well, it, it, it reflects that. You see, worship, follow me, worship is absolutely about God. It is. It really is. But it is more about you than it is about him. I'm not a heretic. Stay with me. It is more about you than it is about him. What do I mean by that? Because at its root, the word worship means worth shape. Somebody say that. Worth shape. Thank you, one person. There's a crown in heaven for you, the rest of these people. They're going to live on the borders in the small mansions. Let's try again. Worth shape. What does that mean? At the root of it, that's what the word worship means. Because what we worship, what does it do? It shapes our worth. It shapes our worth. It shapes what we value about God, about self, about others. What we worship shapes our worth. You see, the thing is, and and I know this might be a newsflash, God is not in heaven like, oh man, I just really need him to sing to me today. He's not. No, we worship to be reminded of what is valuable in our world. What is valuable about God? What really matters? God is not shriveling on the vine because we don't worship him. And that's what I mean by worshiping more about us than it is about him. Not that he is not the object of worship, but that at the end of the day, when we turn our hearts toward God, it is about us understanding the real valuation of reality and ourselves, not about God feeling more like God. Now, according to our church, Father Paul, I'm going to weave this in here. When he wrote to the church in ancient Rome, he wrote that all of life is worship. That's that's Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual what? Spirit. Worship. Y'all do remember. But here's the real. How we worship when we gather together evidences whether we have a life of worship beyond the gathering. Can I say it again? How we worship when we gather together evidences whether we have that living sacrifice, life of worship beyond the gathering. In fact, last little piece here, and then we'll jump into the text. Uh, When Brianna and I were there, we spoke to a woman who was like a walking version of the story of Ruth. She lost her husband. She was raising three children alone in a two-room shack, no indoor bathroom. Grandma slept in a hammock in the living room, hanging from the ceiling, and we ended up talking to her because when we were standing in that worship gathering, like she was going in. She was, she was doing the nay nay. She was like, she was <laughs> twisted and shouting like she all the decades. You know what the hand jive? I see some hand jivers in here. Beautiful gray manes. She was dancing and singing. And we were just so taken by her. And and we started to talk to her. And I'm going to read to you what she said. I wrote it down. She said to us, I have nothing to complain about because of the God that I worship. My daily hope is to have a heart like hers. My hope is for you to have a heart like hers. Why? Here it is. Because how we worship reveals what shapes our worth. How we worship reveals what shapes our worth. Now, the psalmist delves deep into the beauty of worship and how it impacts our way of life. And that's that's how this goes together. Because you see, what happens in the room impacts what happens out there. And how you live out there impacts how you show up here. Everybody still following me? And the psalmist delves deep into this, into the fundamental beauty of corporate worship and and why it is necessary to have a life overflowing and characterized by worship beyond this. So if you want to walk with me, go ahead and look at verses one through two. The psalm begins with an explosion of praise. Make a joyful noise, the psalmist encourages the people. Note that he said, noise. Which means that even if you sound like a cat in pain when you sing, if it's joyful, God enjoys it. I know that some of y'all are pitchier than those people who are allowed to go on American. Who does that to people? My wife and I watch American Idol. I'm like, no one loves you to allow you to do this. As long as the sound is joyful, God enjoys it. Let it out. Come into his presence with singing. You see, the psalm by design is a call to worship. It is meant to be read and heard in the setting of corporate worship and the commands to make a joyful noise and to come into his presence with singing. Well, that comes with expectations that can often be missed, including this one, that the gathering of God's people, it's a sacred space. And that sacred space, well, it overflows into all of life. And that's the first truth that we see in just these few words. Make a joyful noise, all the earth. Come into his presence with singing. Why? Because you are entering into a sacred space. And sacred spaces are not something that God takes lightly. We can see that throughout the Old Testament when he determines who can do what and not do what, say, in his temple. We see that again in Matthew chapter 21, where Jesus sees a bunch of nonsense going on and he comes into the temple and he says that my house shall be called the house of prayer, but you all have turned into a den of thieves. In fact, John chapter 2 is my favorite account because I've got a vivid imagination, right? If you don't know it, let me tell you about it because it's great. Jesus walks in. He's like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. these fools by playing with me. And he runs back in with a quarter whips. <laughs> and he beats people until they run out of the temple. That's my Jesus. Okay? Jesus meek and mild, skipping through the lily fields with his Pantene Pro-V. I don't want to worship that Jesus. I want to worship the Jesus that sees a mess. I, I don't think y'all are seeing this the way I see this. Like this is like when you get home and you told your kids to clean their room eight times and you like, oh, okay. (laughs) Like that's Jesus in John chapter two. What does that mean? God takes sacred spaces seriously. He takes them seriously. Now, here's a question you gotta ask. Well, if God takes sacred spaces seriously and the psalmist is referencing a sacred space, then what makes a space sacred? What makes a space sacred? Here it is. When we look at the scriptures, we only see one common denominator, and that is the presence of God. God's presence, his presence, is what makes a space sacred. A sacred space is a place that God says he will visit. Now, hear me. If that's true, then should that not change how we approach our places of worship? If God has promised that he's going to be there, that is why the psalmist can speak with such conviction to come into the house with singing. Why? Because God is there and he's going to meet you. It doesn't matter if it's elaborate or simplistic, if it's formal or informal, if it's crisp or it's messy, if it's liturgical or it's free form. it doesn't matter. The singular purpose is so that we can gather together and experience the tangible presence of the living God. Amen. And so whether it is Karenga, in a concrete box in Africa, or cadeau in an open-air room with red clay stuck to the floor, or Atlanta, where our AC is. That's why I yell like this, because i got to talk over our AC at home. It's like, they can't hear me, i got to get louder, We're right here in the triangle, wherever We show up with expectation of being in the presence of God. He shows up so that our worth might be shaped. Now, if that is true, then Psalm 100 is written with an expectation that we are in a space where God will be present. Which means what? I know this seems almost too simplistic, but I think we forget sometimes. Which means that you are in the presence of God. You're in the presence of God. Whenever you show up, you are in the presence of God. And so what? What does the psalmist say? Since you're in the presence of God, make a joyful noise. Worship the Lord with gladness. He is here to meet you. Now, the second truth that we can take from this text, listen, is that worship precedes the gathering. Worship precedes the gathering. What could that possibly mean? Walk with me. Psalm 100 is divided in two stanzas, each with a unique and similar command. The first one we've heard multiple times. Come into his presence with singing. The second one says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And so the psalmist is saying that we enter the space, listen, already in a posture of praise. We enter the space in a posture of praise. We don't come here to get into a posture of praise. We come ready to get it in. We come in a posture of praise. The act of being together with the people of God to worship God begins before we ever enter the building. Do you see again now how Romans 12, 1 ties in? if you are not a living sacrifice unto the Lord, if you are not living every single day with your worth being shaped by God, if you are not in a posture of spiritual worship in every other part of your life, it is unthinkable that you're gonna show up to this room in a posture of praise and worship. Can I say something hard to you guys? They're like, no, no sir. Well, I mean, it's a rhetorical question. You know I'm gonna say it anyway. I mean, I've been here many times. Guys, the reality is that we're quiet in the room because we're dry in our lives. We're quiet in the room because we're dry in our lives. That, that, that's the gap. You see, so much of our postmodern world will cause us to miss this. We, we've taken a posture of consumption rather than a posture of cultivation. We believe that the worship begins when the lights come down or, or when Pelsu or Cannoli begin to do the right thing to stir us up. But if we can be honest right now, or I'll be honest, there are many Sundays I don't show up in the headspace ready to worship because my worth is being shaped by so many other distractions and circumstances and people and problems and the news cycle. And my worth is my identity, my thoughts, my feelings, my my attention is being shaped by so many other things that by the time I get to the sacred place with God's people in his presence, guess what? I can't even get my mind to that place. I'll be honest. And hopefully that'll help us all. Be honest. You see, the problem is not that it takes us a few minutes to get ready. The problem is that if we don't have lives of worship, when we arrive here, we place the whole responsibility of our corporate experience on the people who are standing on the stage. And that's not fair to them. And that's not fair to you. And that's ultimately not fair to God. In fact, I'm going to say this, this may get me fired. But they'd have to try me first. It is not the worship leader's job to get you to worship. It is the worship leader's job to acknowledge the aspect of the glory of God that we should be delighting in on that given day. And to invite you to experience that together. Now, I got just a couple minutes here, so I'm going to wrap it up quick. The final truth that I think we can see in this text is this, that we worship because we are a people. We worship because we are a people, and and in my opinion, this is the one that we take for granted the most. We worship because we are a people. Here's what I mean by that. Is there anybody besides me old enough to remember the Jesus is my homeboy t-shirts? That encapsulates all of this. You see, we have privatized what should be a personal, but also communal faith. This was never supposed to be a private experience. And so the wonder, the beauty, the the glory of what it means to be a part of the people of God, well, that can be missed by us because we live in an individualistic society that has helped us very skillfully privatize even our walk with Jesus. So that the community of the church becomes an addendum to a life that's already sorted out. But look what the psalmist says. The psalmist says, starting in verse 3, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. So listen, first it defines God, then it defines us. The Lord, Yahweh, is God, which is profound when you think about it, because they lived in a pluralistic society where everybody believed that every God was the big G God. We don't have anything to do with that, right? Not in our modern society. The Lord is God. Know that. Embrace that. But that's not where he spends most of his encouragement. He moves quickly to us. And he says, God's people gathered in a sacred place. Well, that's that's where the wonder is. Because it is God who made us. We are His. In fact, our belonging to God is why Paul wrote to the church at Colossae and also similarly to the church at Corinth that whatever you do, whatever you do, whether it is to eat or drink or whatever, whatever you do in word and deed, do it what? Do it as unto the Lord. That's describing a life of worship. That is describing a life where we actually believe that we don't belong to ourselves, but we belong to God. And guess what? We belong to each other. If I had time, I would sing a little bit of Lenny Kravitz to you, but I don't want to get in trouble. Mm, 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 mm. See? No, y'all don't get me in trouble. I'm getting a death stare back there. I'm not going to name names, but I'm just going to move on. The psalmist believes, the psalmist believes that one of the most profound reasons for the people of God to worship God, listen, is that they are the people of God. That God has done the work of forming a people from all people, not because they deserved it, not because they were cute, not because they had it sorted, not because they were intelligent, not because they had it all figured out, but because he is good and because he loves and because the only requirement he has to be a part of his people is that you trust his love and his leading over your own. And that is a wonder. And so gathered worship is paramount for the people of God for that reason among many. Because it is in this space we begin to experience the goodness of God through our sisters and brothers. We begin to share their testimonies. We begin to watch them overcome, what does the Bible say, by the sacrifice of Jesus and the word of their testimony. We become continually aware of the interconnectedness of the people of God and our worth then is shaped not only as individuals, but as a people. In fact, Richard Foster in Celebration of Discipline writes this. It's one of my favorite books and I I highly commend it to you. He writes, when we are truly gathered into worship, things occur that can never occur alone. I hope you believe that. The good stuff can happen in your room alone. It has, but not like it happens here. Good stuff can happen online, but not like it happens in the room. It's just not the same. There there is what the biblical writers called koinonia or a deep inward fellowship. And so in the power of the Spirit, this experience far transcends the feeling of of fellowship or of a common loyalty. There comes a divine melting of our separateness. In the power of the one Spirit, we become wrapped in a sense of unity and of presence such as quiets all words and enfolds us within an unspeakable calm and interconnectedness within a vaster life. Such fellowship and worship makes vicarious worship in media tasteless and flat. Can I summarize it? Ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party, because a Holy Ghost party don't stop when the people of God are together. Richard Foster said it much better than me. Now, let's land this plane. Foster's words say that we find ourselves wrapped up in the family, of God, the story that he is telling, not only in our time, but through all generations. And that's the encouragement that the psalmist ends with in verse five. He writes, for the love for the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. God was faithful to his formed family before we got here. He is faithful to us now. And guess what? He is faithful to every generation. And that is my last plea with you. That we worship him. And our worth is shaped by him because he is faithful. He's faithful. Now, a reasonable question for you to ask is, why should this matter to me today? Why should this matter to me today? There's a litany of reasons that I want to give you, but there's one that I think that stands out and I've already said it a hundred times. Your worth is being shaped by something. Your worth is being shaped by something. And it is the something that is getting the bulk of your attention, that is getting the bulk of your time, that is getting the bulk of your energy, that is getting the bulk of your presence, that is getting the bulk of your emotions, that is getting the bulk of your investment. That is what's shaping your worth. I don't even have time to go down this rabbit trail. If you haven't seen the movie The Social Dilemma, watch it and be terrified. They have created profiles for you. They are not selling you products. You are the product. It is called an attention economy. Why? So that your worth would be shaped by what some other guy's abs looks like on Instagram or what she is wearing or how she is living or how great their life is. All of our worth is being shaped by something. And here's what's so dangerous about that. That if it's not being shaped by God, then it can never lead, never lead to abundant life. And that's what Jesus wants for you. And that's what I want for you. Abundant life. But in order to have abundant life, we have to have our worth shaped by God. And so here's the invitation. Here's the invitation. The invitation is for you to begin, not because you feel like it, but because the psalmist directed us to it. To worship in a way that shows God shapes your worth. Worship in a way. That shows God shapes your worth when we're gathered and when we're not. I'm gonna give you a couple of handles, then I'll be out of your way. A couple of things that you can do to prioritize worship in every aspect of your life. Okay? Number one, start your day with singing. Terrible, terrible singing. Start your day that way. Hey, instead of popping open Twitter as soon as you wake up, or CNN or Fox. Turn on a worship song and allow the Lord to start your day. Number two, engage God throughout the day and ask him for his guidance. Let me tell you the craziest thing I ever read in the Bible, okay? Craziest thing I ever read in the Bible. Jesus prayed all night before he chose his team. But there are business leaders here, and and I've been guilty of it. We make a hire without asking God anything. We look at a resume. We look at an education. And we say, yeah, they're a good fit. Hey, Jesus prayed all night before he chose his team. And he still had a dude go sideways. And of course, he was handling the money. That's how it always goes. Engage God. Do you engage God throughout your day? Here's my challenge to you. Once an hour, just say, hey, God, it don't have to be. Listen, stop trying to pray in King James. He ain't listen to that. (laughs) Hey, God, I could really use you right now. Hey, God, I love you. It's that simple. Last thing. When you are gathered as God's people, sing to the top of your lungs because it is shaping your worth. You know, when I was in Codot, all I could think about was how I could possibly bring that type of passion back with me to Atlanta. Because all I wanted was to see a passionate, life-overflowing worship for renovation so that our vision would become a reality. And similarly, here at Hope, what is your mission? It is to love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Guess what? In order to fulfill that mission, those of you who are the people of God, well, you got to step into that beautiful calling of living a life of worship so that you can actually see that mission fulfilled in your lifetime. And you know what? I believe in you. I believe you will and I believe you'll imagine with me what it would be like to see the triangle so saturated with expressions of the kingdom of God because the people of God decided that their worth would not be shaped by anything else but the presence of God and that it showed up in every aspect of their life. Can we join in on that commitment together? Yes? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your people. We thank you for the power of your presence and its transforming nature. We thank you that ultimately worship, though it is about you, it is not for you. It is for us. And so would we be those now whose worth is shaped by the presence and the power and the mercy of God in Christ's name, amen.